Hey, this is Mark with A Present Word, where scripture is shared with insightful and practical applications for you today. verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in their company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Verse 45, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, Your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. A few things I want to consider here. His mother Mary said, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. In my words, Young Jesus was saying, why were you searching all over Jerusalem for me? Where did you think I would be? Where do I go every weekend to spend my time? I go to the synagogue to visit the rabbis and teachers to study the Torah and the other scrolls. What do I look forward to every year? Coming here to Jerusalem and spending time in my father's house. I must be about my father's business. But they did not understand that statement. Joseph probably looked at Mary and said, I don't think he's referring to me in our carpentry shop back home in Nazareth. In my words continued, Jesus starts telling his parents, as I've been studying with the teachers here in Jerusalem, I'm learning amazing things about my father and what pleases him. I'm also discovering in the scriptures, they're talking about me. They're bearing witness concerning my birth, life, and death. This is very important stuff. This concerns my future and what I'm to do with my life. I must be about my father's business. John chapter 5 verse 39. Jesus speaking at the feast of the Jews. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me or reveal me. I've thought about Jesus being such a young boy in his deep desire, love, and devotion to his father, his word, Jerusalem, the temple, and his people, Israel. Where did this passion come from? I think Jesus gives us a clue, but it will come 18 years later after he has left Nazareth and the carpentry shop and begun his ministry. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. I'm reading from the American Standard Version. When you pray, enter into the inner chamber, and having shut the door, pray to thy Father who is in secret, and thy Father who sees in secret shall recompense thee or reward you. And some versions add openly. See, Jesus is saying, when you pray, enter into the inner chamber. The King James 
uses the word closet, other versions private room. But a key point is you must close the door and pray to your father who sees in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. But you must close the door and pray to your father. See, there is an emphasis here on in the secret or the secret place. Jesus adds another clue in verse 5. So we just back up one verse. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Today, we could omit synagogue and add church meetings, so that they may be seen by men. He's making a distinction between the secret place or an outward appearance. See, not an inward heart devotion to pray secretly to the Father. These people just want to be seen by men. Jesus speaking, I say to you, they have the reward. But what's the reward? They are getting seen by men. To get rewarded from Father, you need to pray to your Father in secret. You must shut the door. I don't believe Jesus would be teaching us this insight if it wasn't something he himself had cultivated when he was a young boy. Maybe he had a closet in their house in Nazareth. Maybe he had a small shed behind the carpentry shop. We don't know. But I believe he went somewhere privately away from people, shut the door, and prayed to his father in secret. Well, this message is not about the best time to get up and pray, how long should you pray, calisthenics of prayer, kneel, sit, or stand to get the best results. The Lord knows we have enough books on that stuff already, but there are some great classics available as well. But I do want to share something the Lord is teaching me concerning prayer and I hope it will be helpful to you. I covered the story of Jesus' early life to emphasize what he tells his parents after they eventually find him in the temple, the big picture of the inner chamber, getting to know the word of God and his father. It all culminates in Luke 2, verse 49. We read it. I must be about my father's business. We can see Jesus had a deep prayer life, Luke 5, 16. So he, Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed, Luke 6, 12. Now it came to pass in those days, he went out to the mountains to pray and continued all night in prayer to God, Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, Matthew 26, 36. Sit here while I go over there to pray. Now, nobody's going to accuse Jesus of not being a man of prayer, but Jesus wasn't just praying for praying's sake. He wasn't just making sure he got his daily quiet time in. He had laid a foundation as a young boy to get away from the crowds of people and pray in the secret place to his father, just as we read earlier. But now the secret place has movement. It is moving inside him. As he begins his ministry, he has become the secret place. There were many times he couldn't get away because of the crowds and he needed to pray. Not a problem. He just turned within to the secret place, hit the pause button, turned to hear from his father what he should be doing or saying. He and his father are now one and the prayer work he's now doing is on behalf of his father's business. Another way of saying it, his prayer closet, his inner life with his father has now become an open door to the world for him to function in his ministry as the savior of the world, 
yet remaining in the inner chamber at all times. He doesn't have to go there. He lives there. 1 John 4.17 As he is, so are we in this world. Until you and I arrive to as he is, so are we in the world. When we do go away to pray, may our prayer petitions begin to turn away from ourselves, our interests, and our personal needs, which have great importance to God. He does say ask, but let us move on to Father's business at hand and trust that he is aware of all of our needs and trust him to provide what is needed. May his will eclipse all earthly things. May God's will and purpose become our aim and life goal. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? which is inches in height, verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I believe Jesus is giving us an inside look at his prayer closet. Jesus is telling us, His prayer life was all about his father's business, not these other things, clothing, food, drink, and one's life. He is keeping the main thing the main thing, knowing all these things listed above will be provided for him by the father. So why worry? See, it's not necessary. He wasn't worried or anxious. Therefore, he could tell us, don't be worried or anxious. He was teaching us what he was personally doing and how he was living by faith. Jesus wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't teach something and then do the opposite. He always lived in it in his daily life the same way we need to in our daily life. Can a man impress God? Can God be impressed by a man? Well, I think possibly Job impressed God. Noah, well, he built an ark. It's a good thing he did. Otherwise, he might have drowned. Moses? David, at least when he defeated Goliath, and I'm sure that there's many others. I mention that because in Matthew chapter 6, at the end of verse 30, Jesus makes this statement, O ye of little faith. Now we know Hebrews 11:6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, the good news is at least these people had a little faith. If we're born again from above, then we believe God, we have faith. We know then we have at least a little faith. But I believe faith is also related to prayer. I think they're relatives, in a sense. In the story of the centurion, Jesus said, I say to you, 
I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. What did Jesus find in the centurion? Let's take a look. Luke 7, starting in verse 2. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, that the one for whom he should do, he was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. I think this centurion impressed God. Jesus himself marveled at him. Why did Jesus marvel? When we look at this story on the surface, the centurion says, I am a man placed under authority. I say to one go, he goes, another come, he comes, and my servant do this, and he does it. It says earlier in this story when the centurion heard about Jesus, and I believe the centurion, he knew and he heard what Jesus was doing, that he was a man under authority like himself. So this centurion's authority came down through the ranks of the Roman army, the Roman Empire, Caesar. I believe he realized that Jesus was under authority and that God was over him and that he was moving in a kingdom, and that he had power to heal his servant. That's why he ran through the discourse about, if I tell one to go, he goes, another one to come, he does this. He said to Jesus, but just say the word. He knew, you're under authority, I'm under Caesar, you're under God. If I say the word, it happens. If you say the word, it will happen. And Jesus marveled because the centurion was seeing something that no one else was seeing. He was seeing that there was something operating above and behind the life of Christ as he walked on the earth. He was on the earth, but he was also in the heavens. See, the centurion had authority, but he had somebody behind him. He had Rome. He had the empire of Caesar. He had his earthly dominion. Jesus had a heavenly dominion. Well, all of that is fairly obvious to see, but I think that there was something that the centurion did not see, nor could he see, that Jesus was aware of. But he still marveled at the insight the centurion had. But what the Lord has been teaching me is that when the centurion would say to one of his soldiers, go or come, they would do likewise. But Jesus wasn't like the centurion. Jesus was more like the servant or the soldier being sent. 
by the centurion. What do I mean? Jesus was under authority. He waited in the inner chamber for his father to say the word. When he heard the father say, go, he goes. When he hears the father say, come, he comes. When he hears the father say, do this, he does it. All of this was happening in the inner chamber with the door shut. See, the world could not see this discourse. He is one with his father. That's why he didn't need a man to bear witness to it or validate his ministry. He wasn't doing it. It was his father's work. The door was shut because this is a private secret meeting between him and his father. And really, that's where we need to be. Not standing on a street corner or in the synagogue for men to see and hear how spiritual we are. Jesus had authority like the centurion, but he humbled himself and emptied himself and committed his spirit into his father's hands. John 5.30, I can do of myself nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. The centurion understood that Jesus was under authority, and therefore, like himself, if he said the word, his soldier or servant would go. And he believed if Jesus said the word, his servant would be healed. But what the centurion didn't know is that the word that Jesus said did not come from Jesus. When this invitation came to him, when the centurion sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come heal his servant, I believe Jesus hit the pause button. That's kind of a metaphor I like to use. He didn't immediately respond. Now, it might have only taken him a few seconds, but he pauses and he looks to his father and he says, Father, is this invitation from you? Am I to go with them or not? And in this instance, he said, go and told them, I will heal his servant. I believe Jesus knew what was going to happen when he got there, that this centurion was so humbled that he didn't dare leave his house. See, that's great faith. The centurion never left his house. He first sent the Jews, the elders of the Jews, and then he sent out some of his friends to him saying, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy for you to enter under my roof. I think that impressed the Lord. He said, I am like you, just say the word. I am under authority. Jesus not only was under authority, he was fully surrendered and submitted. He was the servant. He was the soldier that couldn't do anything until he heard the command from his master, his father. I'll give you a personal example. The other day, I was traveling to Indiana and I was close to my destination. I received a phone call from someone that I used to have a business contract with. This was not a ministry invitation. It was a business call. And he presented an opportunity to me and said, I'm wondering if you're interested in it. And I said, well, let me consider it and I'll get back to you. Now, to be completely transparent, I thought about, wow, this could be very profitable. This can bring in more money. I have all these needs. This might work out really well. Wow, this sounds like the Lord. 
But then I caught myself because it's something I'm developing in my prayer life. I hit the pause button and said, Lord, is this business invitation of you? Did you send it? Did it come from above or is it coming from man? The Lord did not immediately respond. So I continued in my journey, but my spirit remained in the secret place with that request. And I was very busy the rest of the afternoon and evening. But later that night, I said, Lord, what about this? Now, many times the Lord confirms, yes, it's from me, or he says, no, it's not from me, which in a sense is a warning that it could come from the dark side and be a snare. In this case, I got neither a green light or a red light. I'm not suggesting that we can live at the level that the Lord Jesus did. He was so one with his Father. Remember, he was the Son of God. He was the deity. He'd, he'd surrender that to, to the purpose and will of his Father. But we are to be like him. But what the Lord has also taught me is that he's poured a lot of experience and understanding regarding business and ministry. And when these things present themselves and he's not speaking to me a, a, a yes or no, then he's saying, work it through what I've taught you all these years. See, it's not that he's, that I can't do it because it comes from man. But if I do it, I need to make sure that it's sound, that it's a good opportunity, whether it's a ministry invitation or whether it's a business opportunity. When we drive down the road, we don't have to pray every time there's a green light or a red light, Lord, what should I do? Or a stop sign or a yield. We know what to do. That's what I'm saying. There are things that he has worked in us. We've learned his ways and we know we should seek the word and look to the scriptures and confirm. God's not a chatterbox. He's not just going to talk to us about every little detail. If he's taught us subjects, you can't go back and call your teacher up that taught you that subject every time you confront it. You have to remember what you learned. You look over your notes, you study, you remember. We have that responsibility. So I want to make sure I'm clear. I want to use the Lord as an example that he, oh, he paused and he looked to his father. Every time someone came to him for a healing, he said, I'm not doing the work. It's the Father through me. So when it comes to the things of the kingdom of heaven that me and you are to function in, the ministry of the Lord on behalf of him, it's got to be of him. It has to be from above. When we get other things that aren't as critical, it's our life here, our daily life, our work life. It may be in fellowship or ministering to other saints that are helpful. And I believe that God gives us that choice to make a good decision. That's important. In closing, Jesus never went into his closet to pray as a religious duty or obligation that a good Jew or Christian should do. See, we start there for sure, but we should not remain there. Let the inner chamber, the private meeting place of the Lord, take us to where we need to be. Jesus said, where I am, there my servants will be also, and I will reward you openly. I can't think of a greater reward than being where Jesus is. Can you? I hope this message was helpful to you today. If you would like to be notified of future podcasts, click the follow button. If you're on Google, click subscribe. This is a free podcast. 
We are a listener-supported ministry. If you would like to donate, click the PayPal link in the podcast. If you're on our website, click the heart button. To contact me, my email is apresentword at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.